This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and yes, I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights. Thank you for joining me, and it's an honor to be here today with you. It truly is. My show today is entitled, If Only Donald Trump Were Still President. (laughs) My gosh, has the world changed since we last talked? I'll try to remember to talk slowly. When I get Worked up into a frenzy, I tend to talk too fast. I'm sure you personally know the phenomena. Yes, today I'm talking about the Ukraine, or Ukraine, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. But especially about Uncle Joe. Because of what's unfolding in Ukraine, I can't help but talk about Donald Trump as well. The simple, obvious, painful truth of the matter is that the world, our American world, changed on January 21st of the year 2021. With the fraudulent and shameful inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president of these United States. You'd expect me to say something like this, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, I am a partisan conservative and pro-Trump commentator. If you walk away from today's show being any the wiser, I hope that you'll remember that Joe Biden is a sanction machine. Joe Biden and his merry men and women of the so-called progressive left have put more sanctions on Americans, yes, I said sanctions on Americans, than any other president in our short yet intense history. Oh, oh yes, we, we had rationing dur- during World War II, and, and President Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus during the Civil War. But no other president has sanctioned Americans more than Joe Biden. And we've only begun his second year in office. Lord, we have three full, almost painful years to get through yet. Uh, take, Take the vaccine or be fired. If your child doesn't wear a mask to school, they'll be sent home. Schools closed by order of the woke school board and the presidential support of teachers' unions. The Biden Justice Department is sanctioning parents who attend woke school board meetings. The Biden Justice Department is sanctioning states that dare require photo ID as proof of residency, citizenship, and identity in order to vote. Progressive Democrat leaders, with the approval of the White House, are sanctioning law-abiding citizens to accept the new level of crime and victimhood in the spirit of racial equity. The Biden administration wants to hire 100,000 new IRS agents to sanction anyone who speaks out against the Biden administration. The woke progressive Democrat leadership? They've sanctioned millions of small businesses into closure and bankruptcy in the name of, of course, public health. Fauci style. Stop drilling for oil and natural gas on all federal property. That is sanctioned. Shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. That is a sanction. The CDC sanctions you from seeing their COVID data. More later on this particular scandal. And the list goes on. Can you think of one thing, be it voting rights, parental rights, health care rights, or security rights that the Biden administration 
has expanded in your favor. And add these two sanction mechanisms to the left's massive propaganda tool chest. The first is the corrupt legacy media. And you probably have already guessed the second one. They call it cancel culture. You're not allowed to think for yourself, and you most certainly are not allowed to voice your own unwoke opinion. But today's main topic is how Biden's sanctioning us into energy dependency has put our national security at risk. I'd say high risk. Don't believe me? Think about Russia launching a massive cyber attack on our infrastructure in retaliation for our sissy sanctions on Russia. Poor, poor Pete Buttigieg, the the occasional Secretary of Transportation, he's seriously worried that his 500,000 electric car charging stations across America's highways, they they won't have the juice to power our $80,000 electric cars. So you're asking, why does Ukraine matter to us? Well, former U.N. Secretary Nikki Haley gave her thoughts to this question immediately after Joe's I am President Joe, hear me roar, speech on Thursday. You know, it's not about underestimating, overestimating or anything. I think it's the it's the blood in the water. It's what Biden did leading up to this. You know, Putin didn't try and do this during the Trump administration. He's doing this now. Why? He saw Afghanistan fall. He saw that we left our allies by abandoning Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night and didn't tell the allies that had stood shoulder to shoulder with us for two decades. He has watched that Biden is falling all over himself to get into the Iran deal. He watched with Biden waving Nord Stream 2. He watched when Biden said, well, if there's a minor incursion, we'll go one way. If there's something major, then we'll go. So every one of these was an invitation to Putin. I don't think Putin initially thought he wanted to go to war, but I think Biden allowed the green light that he said, I'm going to keep going until I can't go anymore. We need to understand that weakness is what got us to this situation. Strength is the only thing that's going to get us out of this. I take it that Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine no longer qualifies as a minor incursion. Having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. So I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Joe said this during his January 19th, 2022, one-year celebration of his first wonderful year in office. Now, when it comes to incursions, I'm not sure the Biden administration is any better at handling major incursions versus minor ones. Now, last June, I broadcast a Frankly Daniels show entitled, If Only Donald Trump Were Still President. If you're interested, you can still go to the America Out Loud website and look under the Frankly Daniels show, and you'll find the podcast entitled, If Only Donald J. Trump Were Still President. Now, in that show, I took a hard look at President Joe Biden's early policies and blunders from January 21 to June of 21, or approximately six months, and I then compared them to what Donald Trump would have done had he still been president. Given that most of Biden's early policies were aimed at reversing Trump's policies, this comparison wasn't really a difficult task. But now it's been more than a year of Joe Biden's blunders and policy catastrophes. 
perhaps we're facing and will soon be suffering from his greatest miscalculation and misstep, that being going toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose and any other body parts of male anatomy with Vladimir Putin. Now, while it's been over a year, we can still say with considerable, with a considerable degree of accuracy how Trump would have decided to react to most of what's gone down over the past 14 months of Joe's administration. In addition to having closely followed Trump over his four years in office, he's recently given several interviews voicing his opposition to nearly all of Biden's domestic and foreign policies and speeches. Trump's, Trump's not afraid to voice his opinions. Boy, do we know that. In fact, he's been outspoken on, on nearly every move Biden's made before even Joe thought about making it. I suppose in this way, Trump hasn't been second-guessing Joe Biden. Where Trump was unpredictable on important foreign issues, Biden's been pathetically weak and totally predictable. Belonging means too much to Joe. He's, he's desperately been, he's been trying to overcome his inferiority complex to be liked and even admired on the world stage. By contrast, Trump just wanted to get things done for America. Trump knew he was on the clock, and every minute of every day was critical to making America great again, as he saw it. Joe's been in public office so long that he, he sees the presidency as just a, another four years of free meals, free housing, lots of uppity events to attend, and lots of opportunities for corrupt payoffs in the future. That's so sad to say something like that, but I honestly believe it. If the royal snobs in Europe liked Trump or gave him a pass because of delightfully attractive millennia Trump, wonderful. If not, Trump just blew him off. Thinking and talking about how Donald J. Trump would have handled or avoided Biden's catastrophes over the past 14 months, is it's only one small part of today's show. Oh, I, I do agree. Uh, Trump overuses superlatives, and his tweets and his speech are oversimplistic. They're blunt, often crude, usually redundant, and, and occasionally insulting. But his message is never deceitful or deceptive. You know exactly where Trump stands on any issue, and he's never shy or apologetic when he gives you his opinion. I have four audio clips I'm going to play for you today of Donald Trump in Brussels on July 11, 2018. Now, that's just a couple of months short here of four years ago. And we'll take them one at a time and we'll talk about each. Now, here's the picture. Trump is sitting at a long lunch table across from members of the European NATO countries. Now, on the other side of the table is NATO's Secretary General, Jen Stolzenberg, and, and other NATO representatives. On Trump's side of the table, you have Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, General Kelly, his chief of staff, uh, at the time that is, and other State Department officials. That's on, who's, that's on Trump's side of the table. It, uh, Trump is in Europe to talk with NATO members about paying their fair share into the economic costs of maintaining NATO. I'm sure you remember this. There was so much controversy and criticism from the left about why is, why is he being so brutish in asking these people out loud why they're not paying their fair share and we're overpaying ours. 
Now, each NATO nation is supposed to contribute 2% of their GDP annually. Only 10 countries out of the 30 member countries pay their 2% of GDP religiously and annually. These nations include, of all countries, Greece, the United States, Great Britain, Croatia, Estonia, Latvia, Poland, Lithuania, Romania, and France. I mean, the only two besides us that you, you sort of would expect to, to be paying is, is France and, and Great Britain. Trump was able to do something no other president has been able to do in 40 years. He shamed delinquent countries into upping their contributions, and he got them to raise the NATO Treasury by an additional $126 billion. Now, as I said, I have four clips. I'm going to play them one at a time, and then we'll talk. Here's clip one. I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia, and I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, Ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So interestingly, Trump is confronting the nonsense, the conundrum, really, of NATO arming itself to protect Germany from Russia. Well, at the same time, Germany is making deals with Russia to supply up to 60% of its natural gas through a new pipeline called Nord Stream 2. And Trump also just happens to mention the corruption of having the former Prime Minister of Germany at the time in 2018 as the CEO and President of the company who owns and will operate Nord Stream 2. Here's clip two. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, we've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they were getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO. And I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over 1%, whereas the United States, in actual numbers, is paying 4.2% of a much larger GDP. So I think that's inappropriate also. You know, we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting everybody, and yet we're paying a lot of money to protect. Now, this has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other presidents never did anything about it. Trump uh, points out that not only is Germany selling its soul and its economic livelihood to Russia, but that they aren't even paying their required 2% of their GDP to the common defense of NATO nations. Uh, This isn't the first conversation Trump and his administration officials have had behind closed doors with NATO's leadership and with Germany. But there comes a point when it's time to speak plainly and for all to hear instead of more diplomatic double talk. Here's clip three. 
because I don't think they understood it or they just didn't want to get involved. But I have to bring it up because I think it's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayer. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it. So I ask you, uh, isn't or wasn't Trump correct? We can't or we couldn't wait for Germany to get its act together. You have to remember, these clips are from 2018, and they are directly relevant today as Russia has attacked Ukraine. When the Supreme Commander Joe Biden took over the presidency, he let Europe know that America was back. It was back to its usual BS diplo-speak. In 1990, Germany had a military force of 545,000 soldiers under arms. Today, Germany's military stands at 181,000. What a drop! Germany has been skimping on its defense and allowing the rest of NATO, and especially America, pick up their burden for defense. In addition to not paying its fair share, America has over 80,000 military in Europe, with over 45,000 of those in Germany. These 80,000 are before Biden's recent deployments to Poland and some of the other NATO countries adjacent to Ukraine. This final clip coming up is an exchange between Trump and NATO Secretary General John uh, Stoltenberg. Stoltenberg is a good guy. He really has a very difficult job. His, his training is that of a diplomat. Listen carefully as he tries to explain away Germany's behavior. You know, NATO is an alliance of 29 nations, and uh, there are sometimes differences and uh, different views and also some disagreements. And the uh, gas uh, uh, pipeline from Russia to uh, Germany is one issue where allies uh, disagree. But the strength of NATO is that despite these differences, we have always been able to unite around our core task uh, to protect and defend each other because we understand that we are stronger together than uh, apart. I think that two world wars and the Cold War thought was that uh, we are stronger together than apart. Um, but how I, can you be together when a country is getting its energy from the person you want protection against or from the group that you want protection Because we understand that uh, when we stand together also when uh, dealing with Russia, we are stronger. I think what we have seen is that... No, you're just making Russia richer. Well, you're not dealing with Russia, you're making Russia richer. Well, so I think that even during the Cold War, uh, NATO allies were trading with uh, Russia. Then there have been uh, disagreements about what kind of... Uh, trade arrangements we should, uh, we should I think to. trade is wonderful. I think energy is a whole different story. I think energy is a much different story than normal trade. And you have a country like Poland that won't accept the gas. You take a look at some of the countries, they won't accept it because they don't want to be captive to Russia. But Germany, as far as I'm concerned, is captive to Russia because it's getting so much of its energy from Russia. So we're supposed to protect Germany, but they're getting their energy from Russia. Explain that. And it can't be explained. You know that. Trump told the hard truth at the end of this clip. NATO can't explain how their alliance's mission to protect each other from the only potential enemy in the area, that being Russia, makes any sense that they're totally dependent 
on Russian oil and gas. Yet mostly Germany and a few others, like Italy, they're keeping their economies afloat on Russian oil and gas at this very moment, as Ukrainians are bleeding and dying on the streets of Ukraine. Trump stopped Nord Stream 2. He stopped it cold, dead cold. He laid it out for the Germans and the rest of NATO. Either find new ways to buy your energy, and not from Russia, or America will have to rethink its membership in NATO. <gasps> oh my God, that couldn't happen. I mean, all the progressive Democrats went bananas over this. Isn't that just the plain business talk of it? After all, 4.2% of our GDP is one heck of a lot of change to drop on the defense of NATO countries who are doing business with the enemy. Everyone knew in 2018 exactly what Trump was speaking about. Putin, as an adversary, was nothing new in 2018. Or in 2014, when he marched into Crimea. Or in 2008, when he marched into Georgia. By the way, 2014 and 2008, those were the years that Obama and Biden were in the White House. When Trump shut down Nord Stream 2, he told the German Prime Minister, Angela Merkel, that America would sell liquefied natural gas to Germany at a better price than they were paying the Russians. So Merkel resentfully began building three shipyard docking sites for American tankers as well as any other nation's tankers to dock and unload their natural gas. The very day it probably was minutes after. The very day Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, she canceled all the construction contracts that she'd signed to build the docking stations. Why, you ask? Because Joe Biden told the Germans in advance that if he won, he'd restart Nord Stream 2. And he did. He signed off, it, off on it in April of 2021. That just happens to be the same month Vladimir Putin began amassing Russian troopers on the Ukraine border. So here we are today with Joe Biden telling us we must accept more pain at the pump and for everything else that energy touches, and it touches everything. As you will hear as we go along today, Germany said no to more harsh sanctions on the Russian banking system because Germany is still buying oil and gas from Russia, as are several other NATO countries. Moreover, although the Germans have said they're going to stop Nord Stream 2 for now, they're still buying the majority of their fossil fuel energy from Russia, as are other NATO countries. They haven't purchased one less barrel. Trump said this day would come. And it has. But I resent the fact that Germany and Joe Biden made their bed and now we have to sleep in it. And it's going to be a very expensive stayover. I apologize for the sound quality of these four clips. These were the best I could find. The room they were in for this meeting was large and the floors were tile and there was nothing to soften the echoes of folks uh, talking over each other and to each other. But here is what today's tragedy in Ukraine is all about. Now, if you can remember that clip, you heard Stolzenberg try to explain that there have always been differences among the NATO allies. But despite these differences, we've always been able to come together around a core mission and stand and protect each other. Oh, that's so much diplomatic speak. He said, we're stronger together than apart. He goes on to argue that even in dealing with Russia, they are stronger. This is an absolute 
dishonest statement. Here's my loaded question. Is this true? Is it true that Europe will see eye to eye with America when the going gets tough? What will Germany and other Russian-dependent NATO nations do when Putin comes for Poland or Romania? Uh, Today, Biden announced as a series of sanctions he's going to come out against Russia. But who among us can figure out what these sanctions are? And I'm not alone in this query. Here's a clip of retired four-star General Jack Keane on Thursday, same day that Biden had made this announcement. It's an hour, actually, after Biden's speech uh, to the nation regarding what we're doing, supposedly in conjunction with NATO, to punish Russia and deter them from further conquests. I found the, the, the president's presentation on the leadership side uh, a bit of a shortfall. I mean, this is an historic event, and I, I think he should have come forward and said, the United States and the international community will not let this stand. As to the sanctions themselves, I'm troubled once again by the fact that it's not clear what sanctions we really are imposing. If, if the if the White House is really interested in informing the American people, informing our business community, in, informing others in the country that truly matter in terms of these sanctions, that he would follow it up with the Treasury Department and the State Department experts who are pulling the triggers here to come forward and lay out what it is we are doing. And it's still not clear to me what it is we are doing. For the life of me, I cannot figure out if Senator Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, is a conservative or has episodic lapses into progressive wokeness. But in the style of Donald Trump, good old Lindsey is as fired up as Trump. Here's the deal. It's one thing to hurt Putin, and shutting down Nord Stream 2 hurts Putin. It's a cash cow. It's a pipeline that goes into Germany from Russia, goes around Ukraine, and it's a lot of money for Putin and a lot of gas for the Germans. I'm glad they're shutting the damn thing down, but it doesn't help you here at home. You want to help the American people? Let's become energy independent again. Why can't we open up Keystone Pipeline? Let's have a vote in the United States Senate and put Democrats on record who want to keep the pipeline shut down. Why can't we go back to aggressive fracking? and unfreeze limitations on exploring for oil and and gas here at home. We are sitting on an abundance of American-owned oil and gas, and we should be exploiting it for our purposes and helping our allies. We should be all in with energy independence. But no, we're getting our ass kicked overseas, and Biden's getting led around by his nose here at home by the left. We're not going to secure a border because he would piss off AOC. We're not going to drill for oil and gas that we own because the environmental left owns the guy, and Putin is kicking his ass in the Ukraine. But if we get screwed over in Ukraine, the world, and let Putin get away with it, China's going into Taiwan and Iran's going to get a nuclear weapon. So one thing does lead to the other. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. 
NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniels Show. Before the break, we were discussing how Joe Biden and our weak sisters and brothers in NATO put us in front row seats to watch the brutal and bloody war going on in Ukraine. When we lost our best president, Donald J. Trump, we not only lost a valuable leader, but we also lost a prophet. Trump predicted the current nightmare, and he warned all that if Europe didn't find a way to say no to Russian oil and gas, that lives and countries would be lost because of it. Today we're witnessing the fulfillment of that prediction. I do want to break down Biden's Thursday speech as we move along today, but I'm going to back into it as we go along. I can tell you now that I was underwhelmed by Biden's response to Putin's all-out assault early Thursday morning. Here's Joe telling us all the things that he and our allies are going to do to Russia over time 
if they can stay together over time. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. I want to be clear, the United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. Have you noticed how Joe claims that most of the world is against Russia at the moment? But what about India and China? And are you, are you, if I could follow up, sir, are you urging China to help isolate Russia? Are you urging China to help isolate Russia? I'm not prepared to comment on that at the moment. India is one of your major defense partners. Is India fully in sync with the United States on, on Russia? We're going to be, we're in consultation with, with India today. We haven't resolved that completely. One Whoops, uh, someone forgot to get a hold of somebody in India and somebody in China. Population of India is 1.4 billion people. Population in China is 1.5 billion people. Uh, they're tipping the scales at about 3 billion people or about 45% of all the people on Earth. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. We've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. Mr. President, you didn't mention SWIFT in your sanctions that you announced. Is there a reason why the U.S. Uh, isn't doing that? Is there a disagreement among allies um, regarding SWIFT and whether uh, Russia should be allowed to be a part of it? Remember this question. We're going to come back to it. It has to do with SWIFT, S-W-I-F-T, the SWIFT banking system. Very important, totally left out of this critical point. We're going to stunt the ability of, to finance and grow Rush, the, the Russian military. We're going to impose major, and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. Good point, Joe. Just think of it. Putin's making about a billion dollars a day on his oil exports. He's probably going to have a hard time finding arms or upgrading his military. And if, if he does, it's going to be years away. Secondly... You know, the Russian uh, private sector is already way ahead of us in cyber warfare. Uh, what are you going to do to limit their ability already to attack us in retaliation? As promised, we're also adding the names to the list of Russian elites and their family members that are sanctioning, that were sanctioned as well. As I said on Tuesday, these are people who personally gain from the Kremlin's policies and they should share in the pain. We will keep up this drumbeat 
of those designations against corrupt billionaires in the days ahead. Well, this is interesting. Uh, he's going to go ahead and uh, take shots at other elites, uh, the top people in Russia. But he hasn't said anything about whether he's going to go after Putin himself, who's a very wealthy man, given all that he has stolen from the Russian people. Uh, did anyone ask a question about that? You said in recent weeks that big nations cannot bluff when it comes to something like this. You recently said that the idea of personally sanctioning President Putin was on the table. Is that a step that you're prepared to take? And if not... It's not a bluff. It's on the table. Sanctioning President Putin? Yes. Why not sanction him today, sir? Mr. President. Why not sanction him today, sir? On Tuesday, we stopped the Russian government from raising money from U.S. or European investors. Now we're going to apply the same restrictions to Russia's largest state-owned enterprises, companies with assets that exceed $1.4 trillion. Some of the most powerful impacts our actions will come over time as we squeeze Russia's access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. Between our actions and those of our allies and partners, we estimate that we'll cut off more than half of Russia's high-tech imports. It'll strike a blow to their ability to continue to modernize their military. It'll degrade their aerospace industry, including their space program. It'll hurt their ability to build ships, reducing their ability to compete economically. And it will be a major hit to Putin's long-term strategic ambitions. Now, if I didn't know better, I would think that these kinds of things you're talking about are going to take a long time to develop. And you're going to have to stick together through years of sanctions, which really is very difficult to maintain. Uh, but none of these things are short term. They're not going to, you know, hurt their shipbuilding industry in the next three months or six months or whatever. It's very difficult to get your hands around the time frame uh, that Joe's talking about. The notion that this is going to last for a long time is highly unlikely as long as we continue to stay resolved in imposing the sanctions we're going to impose on Russia, period. Oh, I, I understand now. It it could take a long time, but it won't, probably won't take a very long time if you all stick together. But if you all stick together, it could take a very long time. In other words, you, you're really clueless about this. So what have we learned from Thursday so far? Well, there's been more blarney-enhanced baloney about sanctions. There appears to be some major nations not involved in punishing Russia. Uh, the goal seems to make Russia a second-rate power. With the exception of having nuclear weapons, I, I thought Russia was already a second-rate power. Uh, Russia has the economy of Spain, or Portugal, maybe. You know, California and Texas economies alone individually dwarf Russia's GDP. Now, the CIA estimates that Putin has 75 to 80 percent of all his military forces surrounding Ukraine, meaning that there's only about 20 to 25 percent available for a counterattack on any other part of the vast Russian landmass. Uh, now, if you want to deter Putin, uh, kick the Russians off the space station. That's a good start. Kick them out of all the financial transactions uh, through every available means. Uh, why hasn't the United States and NATO sanctioned Putin personally? Well, we never got an answer to that question. 
Uh, as we go along today, I'm going to play for you a small sample of kick-ass Joe Biden huffing and puffing and telling us, the gullible voting public, that Joe is going to huff and puff and blow Putin's house down. Unlike President Donald J. Trump, uh, Putin is a Putin stooge. Unquestionably, what surprised most of us who follow the folly of Biden and company was that there was no urgency or immediacy to, to Biden and NATO sanctions. It's as if Biden is playing some kind of long game and short game, and he can't figure out which is which. He's expecting sanctions to harm Russia months from now or even years from now down the line. And even then, Joe Biden conditioned the effectiveness of any of these sanctions on whether the United States and NATO can hold it together and afford to wait for the sanctions to bite. But there's even questions about whether these are going to bite. Now, now here's another surprising forward question from a usual friendly legacy media reporter. I mean, even after Biden's teleprompter address, there were still a lot of confused reporters. Biden, if sanctions cannot stop President Putin, what penalty can? I didn't say sanctions couldn't stop him. You've been talking about the threat of these sanctions for several weeks now. Yes, but the threat of the sanctions and imposing the sanctions and seeing the effect of the sanctions are two different things. They're two different things. And we're now going to, he's going to begin to see the effect of the sanctions. And what will that do? How will that change his mindset here, given he's attacking Ukraine? Because it will so weaken his country that he'll have to make a very, very difficult choice as to whether to continue to move toward being a second-rate power or, in fact, respond. Lots of questions, lots of questions from reporters who are asking some pretty tough questions. And these are reporters who have not asked these kinds of questions before. Not of this president. Mr. President, if I can, you detailed some severe and swift new sanctions today and said the impact it will have over time. But given the full-scale invasion, given that you're not pursuing uh, disconnecting Russia from what's called SWIFT, the international banking system, or other sanctions at your disposal, respectfully, sir, what more are you waiting for? Specifically, with the sanctions we've imposed exceed SWIFT. The sanctions we imposed exceed anything that's ever been done. The sanctions we imposed have generated two-thirds of the world joining us. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working. Well, apparently this got Joe in a bit of a testy mood. Obviously, this question finally woke Joe up. In fact, it made him angry that everyone in the room couldn't see the value of the sanctions NATO and Joe have been working on for months now. At Toward the end of Joe's comments, he hit the sword nail on the head. He said, let's have a conversation in another month and, and see if they're working. Do you think the Ukrainians have another week, much less another, much less another, another, much less month to see if Putin is responding to the ally sanctions? So you have to ask by now, what is SWIFT, the SWIFT banking system? What the heck is that? We all expected that Joe would announce that the U.S. and its allies would impose harsh financial penalties against Russia, kicking it out of the SWIFT banking system, which isn't really a banking system, but I'll explain. But, but he didn't do this anyway. Now, SWIFT is an acronym, and it stands for the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. Boy, if that's not a mouthful. 
Now, this is a cooperative of financial institutions formed in 1973, and it's headquartered in Belgium. It's overseen by the National Bank of Belgium and in partnership with other major central banks, including the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, and the European Central Bank. Now, in 2021, SWIFT recorded an average, an average of 42 million messages per day. My nerves. An 11% increase from the year before. In, in 2020, Russia accounted for 1.5% of those transactions. So it has become the be-all and end-all of banking uh, transactions. If the U.S. and its European allies cut Russia out of the SWIFT financial system, Russia's economy would feel both the immediate and most certainly the immediate and long-term damage to their economy. It would be one of the toughest financial steps we could ever take and has ever been taken. This sanction would cut Russia off from most international financial transactions. Most importantly, it would cut them off from their profits from oil and gas production, which account for more than 40% of Russia's revenue. Now, NATO and the United States also wrestled with the idea of cutting Russia out of SWIFT in 2014. That date keeps coming up, you know, that Crimea date. When, that's when Russia, of course, annexed Crimea, and they backed the separatist forces in East, eastern Ukraine. But again, Putin called our bluff and declared that kicking it out of SWIFT would be equivalent to a declaration of war. I mean, so you can imagine what uh, happened next. Uh, let me remind you that President Obama and Vice President Biden were in office at the time, and they uh, Biden went to Delaware, and, and where no, who knows where uh, 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 Obama went. He probably went to Hawaii playing golf or something else. They couldn't be bothered. But before explaining more about what SWIFT is, let me return to Putin's threat in 2014. His threat to the U.S. and the Allies that being cut out of SWIFT would be a declaration of war. Perhaps Putin has already told us that if we mess with SWIFT this time, there would be war-like consequences, maybe like nuclear war-type consequences. Here's a clip of another pointed question to Biden right down this alley we're talking about. Sir, sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? And a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will that the, the threat that he gave, the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show, this is going to take time, and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. And so the people of Russia know what he's brought on them. That's what this is all about. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together, and we will. We will, and it will impose significant costs on him. My nerves already. The press is actually doing its job. I mean, to tell you this line of questioning by every reporter Joe called on was, was a tough question. 
And, and to the point where no words were minced, there were even follow-ups and no softball questions as usual. Uh, I, I was left scratching my head when I heard this reporter's first question. I was immediately reminded of the 2014 Crimea, Crimea assault and, and how the West just caved to Putin's threat of war. I mean, he just took Crimea and that end of story. I mean, didn't he just issue the same threat the other day, even with the implications of using tactical nuclear weapons? Notice that Joe has taken to answering questions with number one and then number two. And that's all we seem to get from Joe these days. We get a usual shower with number one, and then we get bombed with a Joe number two. Number one, Joe has no idea what Putin's threatening. Come on, man, cut the crap. Number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. That's, that, that's Joe's testimony. Notice how Joe's increasingly sounding very sensitive to questions about his sanctions' lack of punch. Can, can you believe Joe said... No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show, this is going to take time, and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. And so the people of Russia know what he's brought on them. That's what this is all about. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together, and we will. We will, and it will impose significant costs on him. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just hear that just one, one more time, Joe? No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. They're meant to prevent and deter a large-scale invasion. We want them to have a deterrent effect. The sanctions are designed in the first instance to try to deter Russia from taking further aggression. As well as our efforts to uh, both try to deter Russia uh, through sanctions. If you pull the trigger on that deterrent, well, then it doesn't exist anymore as a deterrent. Mind you, they've been working on this messaging now for three months. Pretty hard to believe. Every one of those people that testified in that clip there were all higher-ups in the Biden administration. Admiral Kirby, Kamala Harris, the Secretary of State. If the threat of sanctions weren't meant to be a deterrent before Putin's attack on Ukraine, my opinion is the actual sanctions imposed by us and NATO, they certainly aren't a threat to Russia or Putin currently. Let's hear from General Jack Keane on his opinion of Biden's sanctions. Putin's mindset here is he's dismissed the sanctions. He's, he's war-gamed that. He believes he can absorb this. And nothing we're going to do here would deter him from the strategic, political, and military objectives he is pursuing right before our eyes. There is no amount of deterrence that would stop that other than U.S. and NATO troops in Ukraine, and that's out of the question. So it's all about punishment and retribution and imposing cost over time. I'm not minimizing it. I'm saying that we should go all in on all of that and, and make tough assumptions in dealing with him. It's not clear that we're actually going to attack him. It's not clear what we're doing about the industry space, particularly oil and gas. 
uh, it's not clear about the SWIFT system. It's strange to think that Biden's the one that's having all this conflict with Ukraine and over Ukraine. I mean, don't forget what Joe was doing in Ukraine in 2016. A country President Obama put Joe in charge of to oversee. Remember when the Ukrainian prosecutor was after Hunter Biden for working for a corrupt Ukrainian gas and oil company? A company that Hunter Biden walked away with over $3 million for really little to no work. Joe Biden flew to Kiev and threatened the Ukrainian president that if the Ukrainian president didn't fire the prosecutor, that Biden wouldn't approve a $1 billion loan to Ukraine. And also don't forget that the Democrats impeached Donald Trump when he went after why Biden had interfered with the Ukrainian justice system and what Hunter was up to in Ukraine as well. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours." If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a <laughs> got fired. Did you hear how Biden sounded in January of 2018? That's when he was telling that story. By 2022, four years later, you'd never mistake the 2018 Joe Biden for the one we have now. Now, frankly, and this is why I called the show, Frankly Daniel's Show, I didn't much care for the old Joe Biden, and I care even less about Joe and his cratered political skills now, except for what he's doing to the country. But let me get back to explaining Swift, something Joe Biden obviously doesn't understand. The Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications is itself not a traditional bank and does not transfer funds. Rather, it acts as a secure messaging system that links more than 11,000 financial institutions in over 200 countries and territories. It alerts banks when transactions are going to occur. These secure messages are vital to any financial transaction going on in the world today. When Biden was pushed by reporters on Thursday, he said, it is always an option talking about SWIFT, but right now it's not the position that the rest of Europe wishes to take. Gosh, I wonder why. What did he mean by the rest of Europe? It's Germany first and Italy second. Even as the war is going on this very minute, these two countries and other NATO countries are still doing business with Russia, particularly oil and gas. Just because Germany's agreed not to turn on Nordstrom Stream 2, not for the moment anyway, there's still Nord Stream 1 operating and oil and gas are flowing as they've always flowed to Europe. On February 21st of 2020, Joe Biden tweeted, Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our nominee. If you're wondering why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with him. Tough guy, that Joe Biden. I suppose if Joe had his druthers, he'd take Vladimir out behind the gym and give him a good thrashing. That's going to bow down to Vladimir Putin. I know I will not. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, 
when I'm president, things are going to change. We need someone to take office this time around who on day one can stand on the world stage, command the respect of world leaders from Putin to our allies. We need a commander in chief. When he stands, everybody knows what he or she Thank is talking. Thank you, Mr. Vice. Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I've gone head to head with Putin and made it clear to him we're not going to take any of his stuff. I'm going to stand up to him. I don't believe we're a nation that's going to bow down to Vladimir Putin. I know I will not. And I know he doesn't want me to be president. But to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. We need someone to take office this time around who on day one can stand on the world stage, command the respect of world leaders from Putin to our allies. We need a commander in chief. When he stands, everybody knows what he or she Thank is talking. Thank you, Mr. Vice. As I close today, I want you to remember with a stroke of a pen, Biden converted America from an energy-independent nation, a nation with a growing and healthy fossil fuel export economy, to a nation dependent and a nation at the mercy of enemies. Do you realize that if OPEC nations and Russia, which is an OPEC nation, stopped pumping and exporting oil to America and Europe, the majority of Western civilization would enter an immediate economic depression? We'd have rolling blackouts, half our businesses would close, our industrial base would grind to a screeching halt, our personal mobility would be limited to where we could walk, bicycle, or skateboard to. There wouldn't be long lines at the gas stations because there wouldn't be gas for the ordinary citizen. The government would restrict all gasoline supplies to critical infrastructure. And ordinary citizens like you and me are not critical infrastructure. Thank you for joining me today, and please remember, Joe Biden sanctions Americans, and it hurts. God bless you all, and until next week, this is the Frankly Daniel Show.